0: It had been a very long, hard, difficult, drawn out journey. A period of struggle, suffering, persecution, separation. Many had even begun to wonder if it was even worth being a Christian anymore. Some were on the verge, standing and and teetering on on the very brink and edge of the precipice of just simply giving in, giving up, and giving out. And going back to, to whatever it was they were into before they were converted and became Christians. Sadly, some most likely already had and you would never see them again assembling together with their blood-bought brethren for worship either here on earth or as a result in heaven either jesus words had indeed come to pass in a most tragic way jesus words in matthew 13 wherein After he related the parable of the sower, he said in Matthew 13 and verse 15, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Jesus went on in that chapter of Matthew 13 to say, as he explained the parable of the sower a little further on there in verses 20 through 22, how some who had initially, originally, received the word with joy, they were so grateful to be Christians, would only endure for a while only until trouble arose, or persecution, or problems because of the word, or who would allow the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, to choke out the word and make them unfruitful in the Lord's cause. And so it was in those times, against that backdrop, that the writer, of Hebrews, picked up his divinely inspired pen to write to a people who were on the very verge of giving up, giving in, ceasing to become Christians and walking back into whatever it was in, they were into prior to that—in their case, Judaism. So as I said, the writer of Hebrews picked up his divinely inspired pen and with all the love of God in his heart, he sought to help each one of those wavering brethren teetering on the brink of just letting it all go. He picked up his pen and he sought to remind them both of the superiority of what they had been given by God in becoming and staying Christians and how it would be the absolute tragedy of all tragedies were they to give up on their Christian walk to give up on Christ and surrender their Christianity just because times were difficult for them In his New Testament, or his Truth For Today commentary on Hebrews, Brother Pace wrote this. Readers of Hebrews, that is today, will identify quickly with the first recipients of this letter when they see how they struggled to hold on to their faith in Jesus in the midst of growing world chaos and powerful cultural pressures to return to a more comfortable past. The author's purpose in writing Hebrews, and I love what Brother Pace says, the author's purpose in writing Hebrews was to nail Christians to Christ. I love that. We often talk about Christ being nailed to the cross. By the way, I appreciate your words this morning, Kirk, up here at the table as we We're all taken back to that time when Jesus was nailed to the cross for us. But Brother Pace says, the writer of Hebrews' purpose was to nail Christians to Christ, that is, to encourage the readers to remain faithful regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their struggles, regardless of what they were going through. And Brother Pace says, the theme is set forth for the entire book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter three. Verses 12 and 13, and I'm gonna ask that you might open your Bibles. You at home, please open your Bibles as well. I'm Gonna ask that everybody open their Bibles as we we look at the theme, as we look at what the book of Hebrews is centered around, the the overriding idea or concept or truth that Hebrews, the entire book, rotates around is set forth here in Hebrews chapter three. He says, verses 12 through 13, I'm going to read 12 through 14, and I want us to see this. I want us, again, please, understand these three verses encapsulate the entire message. Everything else springs off of what he says here, as it were. He begins in chapter three and verse 12 saying, beware brethren, don't miss the word brethren. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to people out there in the world. He's not writing to pagans. He's not writing to people that don't know the Lord. He's writing to members of the church. Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you. Notice the word any. Doesn't want one single one to fall into this category. Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you Christians, brethren, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. If there was ever a book that said you can fall away, it's Hebrews. He said, brethren, Christians, brothers and sisters, you've got to be careful that you don't let an evil heart get in there and convince you to depart from God. Now these were people who are already with God. You can't depart from somewhere you ain't. In order to depart from somewhere, you gotta be there. They were with God. He said, I don't want you to depart from God. Don't let this evil heart develop within you. And he tells you how to cure that. He says, but exhort one another daily. Every day, exhort one another. This will stop you from having an evil heart and departing from the living God. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The only day that you need to exhort your brethren is any day that ends in Y. That's it. Other than that, if you know, any other day you don't have to, only if it ends in Y. The Devo Wednesday night was about calling or contacting or, or, or getting on Marco Polo and, and, and letting your brethren know, talking to them, contacting somebody you haven't. And I hope and I pray that every member of the congregation's done that. And I hope and pray that we continue to do that, even though we're separated. By miles, we're separated by a lot of things, and we can't all be together under one roof right now and haven't been able to for 11 months. That does not mean that we need to be spiritually separated or spiritually distanced just because we're socially distanced. But that's up to us. He continues on. For we. Have become partakers of christ this is his this is his wrap-up this is the condition this is the therefore for we have become partakers of christ if it's conditional if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end he said we're only going to be partakers of christ we're only going to be with jesus if we hold our faith, if we hold our confidence steadfast to the end. You remember how you felt when you come out of the baptistry? I seem to keep going back to this, but that's okay. Do you remember how you felt? Do you remember when you were baptized? You remember when you were baptized? You remember when you come out of the baptistry, how you knew, based on your knowledge of the word, that you were forgiven. How'd you feel? Now, some people, some people, you know, they don't maybe have all that much feeling, but some cry, some just you just come out and you just oh, thank God. Thank God. He said, you've got to hang on to that right to the very end. You can't lose that. That's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. You, You can't lose that. You're only a partaker of Christ and with Christ if you hold fast the beginning of that confidence steadfast to the end. Then he goes on to explain the previous tragedy, back in the days of Moses, that he was seeking to save them from falling into some semblance of. He he goes on, he, he uses this illustration. We look down in verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled indeed? Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he angry 40 years? Was God angry for 40 years with people that were his or people that weren't his? They were his people, right? Same thing, brethren in some sense back then. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and and to whom did God swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You see the connection right there? There's something interesting right there in those two verses. He said, those could not enter his rest who did not obey, They couldn't enter his rest because of unbelief. Do you see there that disobedience and disbelief are the same thing? Belief and obedience are the same thing. If you believe God when he says that you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you really believe that, what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna obey it. Belief and obedience is the same thing. Well, disobedience and disbelief are the same thing too. They couldn't enter in because of disobedience. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief or disbelief. He said I don't want you folks to be like that you you Christians you first century Hebrew Christians I don't want you to be like that I don't want you to fall like they did in fact he goes on in verse 11 of chapter 4 to say let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest that is this heavenly rest as he's gone on to explain in chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience he said look I want you all to go to heaven. I don't want you to be like those people. They didn't trust what God said, so they didn't obey what God said. And he said, you can't have an evil heart like that. You've got to hang on to God. You've got to stay steadfast. You've got to hang on to your faith. Don't be like them. Be diligent if you want to go to heaven, unless you fall like they fell. Having discussed the theme, of Hebrews in chapter three, verses 12 through 14, and looked a little bit further beyond. I want us to go back now, and I want us to begin at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, and I want us to see how this theme we've discussed carries through the whole book. Time and time and time and time again, he comes back to this same theme, and and I want us to see this, and and as we read some of these, I want you to remember the whole point of the book is that there's Christians that are struggling, hang on to their faith, they're ready to quit, they're ready to walk away from the Lord and his church they're ready to give up chapter 1 hebrews starts right out the writer of hebrews starts right out by telling them how being a christian no matter the struggle is far superior despite the worst of struggle being a christian is far infinitely far superior in every way to that which they were devoted to before and which some of them were considering going back to again in their case judaism notice how he starts out with that very message hebrews chapter 1 1 through 4 watch this he says god who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. This this is what we got as Christians, we got Jesus. Through whom, also, he made the worlds. That's who we've got if we're a Christian. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that is, Jesus was the exact representation or icon of God. This one who upholds all things by just a word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Wow. Starts right out and says, do you people understand what you've got in Jesus Christ? Do you understand that what you've got is so far superior to anything you could possibly want to go back to? He who made the worlds, he, who, he is, who is the exact image of God, he who just maintains all things just, just by the word of his power. When he had taken care of our sins, he sat down at the right hand. Of, That's who you've got in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad to be a Christian? That's where he starts. And he only builds on that foundation from there. It's interesting here when he says in verse 4, having become so much better. Those of you taking notes, get ready. The book of Hebrews is all about how much better we've got everything because we're Christians than we could ever have in any other place. Relating to them specifically and their former life in the Hebrew faith, we have a better messenger and mediator. Hebrews one, one through four. We have a better hope Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19 We have in Christ a better covenant Hebrews 7:22 which was established on better promises Hebrews 8 in verse 6 We have a better sacrifice Hebrews 9 and verse 23. We have a better and an enduring possession for ourselves in heaven. Praise God, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. We have a better heavenly city, citizenship, or country. Hebrews 11 and verse 16. We got it good, don't we? We got, no, we don't have it good. Christian, we don't have it good. We have it better than best. That's what we have. That's the message of Hebrews. And yet still some of them were were thinking of, of surrendering that. Hebrews goes on to tell us that God has prepared something infinitely better through the immeasurably better blood of Christ for those faithful in Christ who will hang on firm to their faith to the end We have something better than has ever been experienced by even the best and greatest of the patriarchs in the Old Testament religious system that some of these teetering Christians wanted to go back to. Hebrews 11 in verse 40, in chapter 12, verse 24. Even the best of the Old Testament patriarchs could not even imagine how much better we've got it than they've got it according to those two verses. When you consider all of that, you understand the reason for the Hebrew writer picking up his pen to lovingly encourage through a number of heartfelt warnings to these weak and teetering brethren. You understand his love and concern. He knows what they've got. He knows what, because they're in this period of struggle, they're they're almost ready to give up. Some of them probably already had, and so he lovingly warns them throughout the book. The first of these warnings we see in Hebrews chapter two. Please turn there, verse one. We know this book is written to brethren, those in Christ, and he says, therefore we, that is we Christians, who are struggling, We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. He said, we got to pay even closer attention than we have been. Yeah, life was difficult for them, as we're going to see when we get into some of the later chapters. And it was getting harder. And he said, we got to pay even more diligent attention. These are people that have already been baptized. He said, lest we drift away. And every time I see that word, every time I see this passage, I think of the same illustration. I think of... A rowboat, of some sort, pulled up on a beach. A rowboat pulled up on a beach, nice sunny day, maybe in the Caribbean or Caribbean, however you decide to pronounce that word. You know the region. And it's this warm sunny day, and the waves are just gentle, and they're just hitting the back of that boat, and you get in that boat, and you think, oh man, nap time. (laughs) And the sun's out, and the waves are plunking against the boat, And it's up on the shore on the front end in the sand and you've had this long way you think oh man If I just I'm gonna close my eyes. Oh, i feel so good And you drift, and and you sleep And as you fall asleep You didn't bother to think if there were paddles in the boat because you're all you're gonna do is just take a nap Slowly that boat begins to drift and you're asleep and you wake up, you haven't felt it drifting, you haven't noticed it was drifting, you were not cognizant that it was drifting, you were asleep to the fact it was drifting, but you've drifted away and here you are out there and you're being sucked further and further out and you have no paddles and we'll say a shark infested and you can't swim back, you never knew what was happening but you just simply drifted and you didn't even know it. The writer of Hebrews is saying you Christians cannot do that. You cannot allow yourself to slowly drift away from Christ And the only way you're not gonna do that is to pay more careful heed to the things you've heard lest you drift away. For if the word, verse two, spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, reminding them of Judaism they came out of, he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will he said look you know how Judaism and that system worked you you understand that and and what happened to those people who were disobedient and wouldn't listen we've already talked about this in chapter 3 He said, but if you know that and you understand the punishment they got, what do you think is going to happen where we have it so much better? God confirmed it. Jesus told us. The apostles have told us. What do you think is going to happen to us if we allow ourselves to drift away from what they said? It's going to be even worse. You can't allow yourself to drift, to be asleep to your plight, slowly drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ. The next warning that we see is in chapter three, verses one and two, look what he says. Therefore, holy brethren, again, these are Christians. Over and over he says this. Therefore, chapter three and verse one, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, these were Christians just like you and I. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Well, how do we know Jesus was faithful? I mean, we know he was, what what do we see that in? How does that come out? He was willing to do whatever God told him, right? Even if it was tough, that's how Jesus was faithful to God. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember Jesus? He was faithful, He, he struggled, yeah, Jesus had his struggles, no doubt, but he stayed faithful to God. Even despite those struggles, Jesus didn't quit, Jesus didn't give up, Jesus didn't walk away, Jesus didn't surrender, Jesus didn't drift. Consider him, think about him, the writer of Hebrews says. In verses five and six of chapter three he says, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, I've got this highlighted in my Bible, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. The point of Hebrews chapter three, one through five, is that Jesus struggled but Jesus kept on going with God. He did not quit. And he said, think about him and you are his house if you do the same thing. If you hang on to that that joy and you hang on to that, firm to the end, you don't let it go just because you're struggling, just because times are tough, you don't let it go. You keep your confidence and the rejoicing and the faith just as much the day that you draw your last breath as the day you come up out of that baptistry. He said, we're Christ's house if we do that. And folks, you and I both know a lot can happen between the time you come up out of that baptistry and you draw your last breath, right? A lot of life can happen in between there, right? It doesn't matter. You hang on to Jesus. You be faithful, just like Jesus was. Of course we see the heart and soul or theme as we talked about earlier in chapter three verses 12 through 14 as well. Next morning we would notice from the love and the encouragement of the divinely inspired pen of the Hebrew writers in chapter four. Look at the first two verses chapter four. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. Lest any of you, any one of you, any of you seem to have come short of it. Is he still worried about his brothers and sisters in Christ losing their souls? Yeah. He loved, and he loves them enough to put a warning sign up there and say, Look, you've got you to hang on to your Christianity. You've got you've to stay with God. You've got to stay with his people. You've got to stay For indeed, he says, verse two, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. This is the key, it wasn't mixed with faith. Listen, when Jesus talks about the foolish and the wise builders in Matthew chapter seven, did both the foolish builder and the wise builder, did they both hear the word? Yes, the one who built on rock, the one who built on sand, they both heard the same word. What was the difference? One of them heard it and did it, one of them heard it and didn't do it. Same thing here, he said, look, their hearing wasn't mixed with faith. When they heard the word of God and what they needed to do, they didn't have the faith and the confidence in God to just keep on doing it no matter what. He said, you can't afford to do that. The rest of chapter four on into chapter five is devoted to the fact, and and don't miss this, this is so beautiful, I, I wish I had all day to stay here and preach. The rest of chapter four and on into chapter five is devoted to the fact that when we do struggle, because these people were struggling. If you're struggling enough to consider giving up your Christianity, you're struggling, and they were. But he says when you struggle like that, you need to run to Jesus, because we, Have a great high priest, chapter four and verse 14, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Do you see how often that phrase hold fast is in Hebrews? But we can go to Jesus for help when we struggle, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, when we struggle, Yes, I added that. Follow along in your own Bible. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He said, Christian, don't run away from God when the struggle is there. Don't run away from God because it's tough. Go to God for the help you need to hang on till the end. Everybody's going to struggle. But he says, we have this, this high priest, Jesus, who came to this earth and, and he faced every temptation that we face." And he knows what we're going through. And he has all power. He holds up the world by the word of his power. We read that in Hebrews 1. And and he not only has that kind of power, but he loves you so much he bled out on that cross for you. He loves you so much, and he has that kind of power, and he understands because he's been here. Instead of running away from Jesus when you struggle, run to Jesus. And he will help you. Rather than denying and or walking, running, or falling away from him to some place where there is no help, like Jesus, there is no hope, like Jesus, there is no help or hope. If you run away from Jesus instead of to him when you're struggling, you'll run into a place where you're only going to endure worse pain. Because away from Jesus, there is no help, there is no hope. you got nothing without him. There's be, do you agree there's going to be a lot worse pain and suffering if you throw Jesus away? We think we got it tough in this life? Huh. We don't even know what tough is. Till we get to the point on Judgment Day where some, many, will have to go to hell for all eternity because they either never became one of Christ or they threw him away. Those people are gonna know what pain and suffering's all about. We haven't got a clue, and neither did the Hebrews, not compared to that. He goes on in chapter six, beginning at verse four, to give yet another loving, encouraging warning. I I can just see the writer of Hebrews just so heartbroken over his brethren, just, 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 even having that possibility, he said, In chapter 6 verse 4, for it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, Christians, it is impossible for those who become Christians if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. When a Christian walks away from God, when a Christian leaves the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and by the way, as we've said many times in here, you can't leave the body of Christ and take the head who is Christ with you because the head stays with the body. Jesus is with his church. So you can't walk away and say, Well, I got Jesus, I don't need the church. You're deluding yourself. Doesn't work that way. Bible. Uh, we could study this for days. The Bible doesn't say that. Jesus is with his church. But it is impossible if they fall away, Christian, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify the Son of God himself. When, when a Christian leaves the Lord and his church, you know what they do? In front of the whole community, everybody that knows them, their family, their friends, they put Jesus on the cross again. They crucify him again. That's what it says. Because what they say is, is that his cross isn't enough to keep me close to him. His blood and what he gave me is not enough for me to stay with him when I struggle. And so they say to the whole world, hey, Jesus ain't worth it. Now, whenever you teach this verse, there's going to be some that say, well, there's no hope for a person that's fallen away. I've had this discussion many times. And every time I bring these verses up, it seems I have to have the same one, but that's OK. Let's, let's clarify this verse a little bit. It says, impossible for those who've fallen away to renew them to repentance, if they fall away what about the person who's fallen away and later on has come back and been restored aren't they okay yes they are so you can't take just one section you need to put it together with everything else does the story of the prodigal God, yeah prodigal yeah does the story of the prodigal son tell us that if a person comes back to God God will accept them does it tell us that yes it does if a person repents and they come to their senses even one who has been with the father, the son had been with the father, but he decided to leave the father, goes out into the swine fields, devotes his life to wild living. He's out there, he's hungry. He sees the pigs eating. He says, man, I wish I could have some of that because even the servants in my father's house are, are fed better than, than I am. I'll go back to my father and tell him how sorry I am. When the prodigal son returned home, the father saw him from a long ways away, ran to him, kissed him, and said that, yeah, I love you, I forgive you, and you're part of the family, right? So, how does that reconcile with Hebrews 6, 4 through 6? Simply this way. God can forgive any legitimate return to him, period. What this text is addressing, it's not impossible for God to welcome the person back. But what happens is, those people that fall away, walk away and stay in that condition, because they like it out there in the swine fields. If they fall away, if they go and stay away, like you Christians here in Hebrews are considering doing, if you get out there and you stay there, you know, a person that goes back into sin, can some people that go back out into the sin of the swine fields like it? Uh Uh-huh, you ever seen anybody fall away from the church and went back and said, yep, I'm good. It isn't that it's impossible for God to forgive them should they come back, but it becomes impossible for them to come back because they like it there. The impossibility is not on God's part. We know Jesus said, with God all things are possible. The impossibility to renew them again to repentance is not because it's impossible for God to do it, it's impossible for them, if they harden their heart enough, to come back. That's, that's the impossibility. What else is God going to offer you if you walk away? You know, sometimes you go to buy a, a car. You go to buy a car and, you know, if you want to work the salesman down some, you know, you, you talk to him about, Well, oh, you know, maybe I'll, I need to think about this a day or two, right? What happens over the course of that day or two? Typically speaking, that salesman, if you really wants to make a sale, you're going to get a phone call. He goes, hey, I talked to my manager, we got a better deal for you, right? We've come down, so I'm on this car, and we can do this, and we can throw this in, and you know, sweeten the deal. The reason it's impossible to renew some people to repentance is because once they've become a Christian, they've had the best that heaven has to offer. Is that right, in Jesus? God can't sweeten the deal. The deal is as sweet as it can be. God can't say, well now wait a minute, erring Christian, let me add to that. Now, oh. well, if I add to that, no. What is God going to add if Jesus Christ and the grace and the forgiveness and the blood and the mercy and the gift of, of, of everything that you have as a Christian is not enough to hold you the first time, how's, what's God going to do? And so it becomes impossible to renew that person to repentance because it's impossible for them. Because what didn't hold them the first time probably won't hold some of them the second time. That's how that reconciles, but again, it's a warning. The writer also needed for these struggling Christians to realize that even though times were tough, and it might have seemed like nobody else ever noticed or even cared that God had not missed one single solitary service that they had performed for one another. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. Even though they're struggling and they're still serving, he wants them to know God hasn't forgotten your service even despite your struggle. He says, for God is not unjust to forget your labor, your work and labor of love which you've shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. There's not a person you've called since Wednesday night's Devo or prior to it. There's not a person you've texted that God hasn't noticed. There's not a good deed that you've done for a church member, even if you're struggling yourself, that God hasn't noticed. God's not so unjust as to forget those things. But notice this about that verse. He said, you gotta keep doing it though. Book of Hebrews is about consistency and continuing. Look what he says. You you gotta keep it up and not quit, no matter what your current circumstances or struggle. Look at the next two verses, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you, this is for every member of the church, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You gotta keep doing it. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, faith and patience, patience, inherit the promises. Yes, I know I added some words for emphasis. After spending chapters seven through 10 explaining and expanding upon just how much better they have it, even as struggling Christians, than they had it in the previous lifestyle that some of them were on the brink of going back to, he gets to chapter 10 and he writes this. Yeah, three chapters explaining how much better they got it than what they want to return to. And so he says in chapter 10 in verse 19, Therefore brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, he's telling them all of these blessings because of this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, even despite their yes, in spite of their struggles having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here comes our phrase again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, even in the tough times, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He said, look, I don't care what you're facing. I care, but in in this context, I don't care what you're facing. God is faithful. God will keep his word Don't you ever forget that no matter what happens to you on this earth, what God told you he will do, he will do. God is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is the same message that we talked about as the heart and soul in chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. hold fast all of that then he goes on to say this for if we sin willfully that is if we just give up on the church we give up on our brethren we're not trying to help them we're not involved with them we just forsake the church all of it he says That's willful sin. He says, you know better. Same thing he said in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. You've tasted the gift. You've you've got all these things. You know this. If we sin willfully, New American Standard says, if we continue or if we go on sinning willfully, it's a continuous habit. It's those who've walked away from the church. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Are you grateful Jesus Christ is your sacrifice? You want to lose him? Walk away from his church for good. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. And he said, you want to throw away your Christianity? Easy way to do it. Walk away from the church for good and you will become, instead of family to God, an adversary of God. Instead of having the sacrifice of Christ, he will not be there for you, Judgment Day. You want to throw him under the bus? Really? But a certain fearful expectation of judgment Verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy He was trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? This blood of the covenant that, that we gather around the table to celebrate each and every Lord's Day, and, and to consider it a common thing is to say, I don't need that, it's just, it's like, you know, okay, whatever, that's not important. That's what it means to be a common thing. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. The New American Standard says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Terrifying. How would you like to face God on judgment day and say, God, you know that whole thing about, you. yeah, I was a Christian, but you know, that, that thing with your son's no big deal. That body of people that you washed in your blood, pff, I can live without them. That blood's meaningless to me. Wasn't worth even celebrating on your day. You wanna face God with that? Some have walked away from the body forever and they were walking away in the book of Hebrews. And they're gonna face God with that. And the writer is lovingly trying to warn them. Now, let me just say this, then I'll move on. You think you got problems as a Christian? You think you got problems as a Christian? You're struggling as a Christian? leave god and his church behind and you'll find out what real problems are all about real suffering now that's not to say that our journey cannot be difficult look what he says in verse 32 recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations partly while you became companions of those who were so treated For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. He said, When you were first Christians and people come in and took your stuff because you were a Christian or they arrested you, you joyfully accepted it. You didn't say, Here, here's my couch, you know, take my whole house. Or or you did say, you know, here's here's my couch, take the whole house. You can have it, because you know what? I got a reward in heaven, and you can't touch that. You can't touch. And he said, That's what you had, but something's happened. Your struggles have have caused you to draw back. He said, therefore, don't do it, Christian, verse 35, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. You know, it's always been hard to follow God in a world committed to Satan. It's always been difficult to put others first before yourself. When we come out of a world that tells us that we should come first as individuals. It's sort of like salmon. Did you ever watch one of these nature shows and watch the whole salmon migration? You ever watch one of those? I feel so bad for those fish. These poor fish are only trying to get up the stream to, you know, spawn. And at every turn there's problems. There's dams in the way, there's rocks in the way, there's human fishermen, there's nets, there's bears. I mean, every turn in the stream is a problem. Sort of like swimming upstream in a world that doesn't belong to God. We as Christians are swimming upstream. And we have to be aware and watching to the danger. We're not drift away, fall away, walk away, turn away, run away. Can't do it. The writer of Hebrews goes on to chronicle how it's always been difficult to follow God and do the right thing when nobody else seems to want to or cares to be. And he does that here by reminding them of the Old Testament heroes of the faith, whose lives and times were terribly difficult. But who trusted God in the midst of their struggles? Hebrews chapter 11. And then he goes on into chapter 12, and he said Jesus did the same thing. Chapter 12 of Hebrews 1 through 11. And then he comes to this in Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. This is how he wraps it up. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Listen. Two things you've gotta pursue if you plan to see Jesus. Peace with all people. You have to pursue that. You have to take an active role. Pursue is an action word. It means run after, make the effort. It's not always going to work, but you have to make the effort. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone, again, any Christian, fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. If you have a root of bitterness spring up, if you have a Christian who's, who's ready to walk away and throw it all away and, and is mad at the whole church, it only takes that one root of bitterness springing up to begin to affect and infect others. He said you can't let that happen. He goes on to give you an illustration of why. You can't let that, that, that get rooted in and begin to sprout and spread and take over. You can't. Verses 16 and following tell you why. Brethren, here, at home, wherever you are, in a world of chaos, confusion, COVID, corruption, condemnation, it can be incredibly easy for Satan to tempt us to forget the value of what we have in Christ Jesus. It can be incredibly easy for Satan to tempt us to forget what we have been given, to get up close to the brink and teeter on, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. And it's a process. It takes a long time. But we've got to understand when we're headed in that direction because life is difficult where we're heading. We've got to understand what we've got and what we're we're headed towards throwing away. And we can't let Satan do that to us. We can't. Satan will stop at absolutely nothing. He will use whatever it takes to try to get you and I to give in, give out, give up, and go back into whatever it was we were doing before we were Christians. Satan will do whatever it takes to get us to drift away, walk away, fall away, run away from the eternal life and the guaranteed hope that we have from the living God. Satan will do whatever it takes whatever stands the best chance in his mind of getting us to go back into a world of real chaos, real confusion, real corruption, and real condemnation of a Christ-like, of a a Christ-less existence. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, having no hope and without God in the world, Satan wants you back there so bad. Back on April the 14th, 2019, I preached a sermon here from this pulpit. It was entitled, Peter Was a Soldier. And at the end of that sermon, I used an illustration, a story, if you will, sort of. And it was entitled, I Am a Soldier. And it may have, had it been around then, offered some Encouragement to these Christians in the first century who were Just tired of it all and ready to give up and go backward, but of course it wasn't there But who knows maybe one or two of us can get something out of a story That is meant to strengthen our resolve to continue on our ultimate goal to heaven, despite the momentary hardships we may be facing. And so I thought I'd conclude this morning's sermon with it. Again, this is from a sermon two years ago. This is what it's written. I am a soldier. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are the weapons of my warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I have enlisted for eternity. I will either retire from this army at the Lord's return or I will die in this army. But I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out by anyone or anything. I am faithful, reliable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I'm there. If he needs me in Sunday school to teach children, work with the youth, help with adults, or just sit and learn. He can use me because I'm there. If he needs me in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night at revivals or special services, I'm there. I am there to preach, teach, sing, pray, work, and worship. God can use me because I am there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby, I do not need to be petted, pampered, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up, I'm a soldier. No one has to call me, that doesn't mean don't call them, no one has to call me, remind me, write me, or visit me. Move my paper and lost my place. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I am in place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and serving in his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts or special attention. That does not mean that for all of you ladies that left treats for the preacher at Christmas time that that needs to stop. That's not what I'm saying. Moving on. Oh, and his wife, too. She got some. I do not need to be cuddled, coddled, or cradled, neither cared for or catered to. I am a soldier. I am committed completely. He finishes off with these two paragraphs. I cannot have my feelings hurt badly enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. And if I end up with nothing, I'll break even. I am a soldier. I am committed. I will win. I will win because my God will supply all my needs. I am more than conqueror in Christ Jesus and will therefore always triumph. Do we understand that we are more than conquerors? Do we get that? Neither sword, famine, nakedness, peril, whatever comes our way, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He wraps up with this. I am more than conqueror in Christ Jesus and will therefore always triumph. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Devils cannot defeat me, people cannot disillusion me, weather cannot weary me, sickness cannot stop me, battles cannot beat me, money cannot buy me, governments cannot silence me, and hell cannot handle me. Do we get that? I am a soldier, I am committed, even death cannot destroy me. I am a soldier in the army and I am marching claiming victory. I will not give up, I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching heavenward bound. I am a soldier, will you stand with me? I love that piece. Peter understood what so many to whom Hebrews was written, as well as maybe some today, do not understand, and therefore surrender up their salvation. When I tied that I am a soldier to that sermon on Peter, I did that for a reason. You see, Peter understood, too, that it wasn't about him or his feelings whatsoever. Christianity is not about you. Christianity is not about Doug. Christianity is not about, Christianity is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not about my feelings, it's not about my convenience, it's not about my pride. It is all about Jesus Christ, his truth, his eternal truth, even when it hurts. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his words of eternal life, even when they are inconvenient, uncomfortable, hard to do or we are hated for it. It is still all about Jesus. And the Apostle Peter was not going to give up heaven forever for anything momentary earth had to offer. Brethren, we cannot afford to give up heaven forever just because of our light and momentary afflictions here. We can't do it. Peter was not going to surrender up something as priceless as his soul over a few hard teachings, a few hurt feelings, or even his own historic failings. Peter was gonna continue to learn, grow, repent, obey, and keep on going forward with the Lord and his fellow soldiers, and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, that's his message to them. You gotta do that. You've been given something that is so incredibly precious you can't even begin to get your mind around what the surface entails. Don't throw that away, because life's tough. You're only here for a little while. If you throw that away, it's worse than giving up your birthright for a bite of soup. As soldiers, we are to go forward, sword of the spirit in one hand, shield of faith in the other, and the full armor of God all over. What about you this morning? Where are you? If you are one of those people who has become a Christian, and you're hearing this, and maybe, maybe you know, life's been tough, life's been difficult, circumstances, situations, people say things, people do things, COVID, this, that, one thing and another, and you know, you've come to the point where you thought, wow, <sighs> just be easier maybe to, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Read the book of Hebrews. And if you've never become a child of God, you've never started down that journey, then you need to get in touch with us maybe to study what it takes to do that. We would love to study with you, get you to repent, believe in Jesus to repent, to be baptized, and then to live faithfully from that point on. If you need the prayers of the church or anything else this morning, please come forward if you're here or let us know um, if you're listening on the live stream as we stand and say.